welcome back to another episode of Improper Mimi, where we talk about things that empower women at home, work, and play. I am your host, Mimi Jacks, and let me tell you what we are talking about today. Usually, on Improper Mimi, when we talk about knowing your triggers, it has to do with dealing with trauma. Not this time. For this episode, knowing your triggers, we are referring to those things that make our allergies and asthma flare up. I was able to speak with an allergy specialist, Dr. Lakia Wright, to have an important conversation about her journey to becoming a specialist in the field of allergies, as well as the importance of knowing our triggers, racial disparities when it comes to allergies and asthma diagnosis, and what our families and caregivers can do to help ensure children are safe when it comes to these subjects. So Lakia, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. I'd love if you can um, maybe even introduce yourself a little further and um, let the listeners know a little more about yourself. My name is uh, Dr. Lakia Wright, and I am actually an internist and uh, both a board-certified internist and allergist immunologist. I have experience seeing both children and adults for asthma and allergic disease, um, and I did my training in the Boston area and then uh, continued uh, working in the Boston area as well. Cool. And, and how did you um, kind of stumble into this specialty? You know, I know like, um, you know, you're a doctor and you, you went through all your education. And then what was it about, you know, allergies that kind of um, drew you to that? Yeah, so it's that is a, a very good question, you know. I grew up with asthma and uh, environmental allergies, eczema, and mm-hmm. so I was one of those kids that was constantly going to the doctor and going to the ER uh, for asthma attacks, okay, and yeah. so I really um, began to you know, think to myself, oh, well, my doctors are helping me. This is something I could do when I grow up. And so that sort of stuck with me. And I had a passion and drive to become a doctor from a young age. But Mm -hmm. I actually didn't, you know, know about uh, allergy and immunology as a field until I actually got into medical school. And I thought, well, this is amazing because allergists (laughs) and immunologists treat both asthma and different types of allergic diseases. And so um, from medical school, once I found out about it, I began to rotate through the clinics and work with allergists and immunologists. And then from there, I was convinced that that's the path I should take. So Mm -hmm. after medical school, I specialized in internal medicine, so seeing adults. But then after internal medicine residency, I did allergy fellowship training. So four years after medical school for internal medicine, three years for allergy. Um, Once you're in allergy immunology training, you can actually see both children and adults. And that's what I did. And then ultimately, I practiced seeing both children and adults. Oh, wow. Yeah. So definitely a, um, I'd say have to be a passion to to, to follow through because it seems like it took so, so many years to go through different routes and <laughs> to even end up where you are now. Yes, that is very true. It, it took a long time, mm-hmm. um, many hours um, in the hospital and clinics, but really um, helping patients 
And so I really felt, you know, uh, passionate about it, committed to it. And although it was a long time, in in, in many ways, it sort of flew by. So I'm I'm very uh, happy that I chose that career path. Yeah, yeah. When we enjoy what we do, you know, time just seems to fly. <laughs> um, yes. I know that for myself personally, like I didn't really start having allergies or um, in, until my 30s. And then when I started entering my 40s, there were even more, you know, like um, new allergies that began to pop up into my life. And so that was different and a new experience for me because I know like my brother and my mom, like they've had it all their lives. Um, and then even my daughter, you know, she she's also <laughs> developed, you know, certain allergies to um, to like the cold and and she has asthma also. And I could just remember thinking when she was little that, um, you, you know, like because we were in the city, you know, because we um, lived in Boston at the time, you know, I'm like, okay, well, maybe just, they're just saying that all kids have, you know, asthma. Um, But because my mom had it, I kind of figured I'm like, okay, it could be, you know, something that is, you know, also passed down through our family or whatnot. Um, Do you find that people develop, you know, certain allergies or even asthma, perhaps um, more as children or more as adults as they mature? Yes. So um, that's a a very good question. And and there's a little bit of nuance there. So we see, for example, with food allergies, um, we do see a higher prevalence in children, and particularly when we look at foods like milk and eggs. But then Mm -hmm. we also uh, see uh, now more um, uh, or higher prevalence of uh, allergies in general, but including adult onset um, allergies, uh, including you know food allergy. Particularly, you see with adults, you see um, adult onset shellfish allergy. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to uh, talk about uh, environmental allergies, you know, like the runny nose, the stuffy nose you know, the dust mice, the pollens, things like that. We yeah. see with climate change, um, we think that climate change is influencing this, uh, that we see more adults um, saying, you know, well, I didn't have these environmental allergies as a child or in childhood, but now um, I'm in my 30s, my 40s, even 50s. Mm-hmm. And now I have, you know, the classic sort of hay fever environment to allergy. So I would say in general, we do see, um, uh, a higher prevalence mm-hmm. of allergies now, and we do see adult onset allergies um, uh, as well. Oh wow! Okay, good. So it's it's comforting to know that I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah, you are part of that group that you know patients are saying, "Hey, I never had this in childhood, exactly. um, but I'm having it now." And yes, we do say that. So we still see you know children developing allergies, and and then to talk about asthma, we mm-hmm. see a lot of allergic asthma in children. So they're asthma is being triggered by the pollens, the dust, cockroach, mouse, you know, common environment too, Mm -hmm. allergens. Um, But then we also see that, you know, adults can even uh, develop uh, asthma, even if they didn't have it in childhood. And that may have uh, an allergic uh, skewing as as well, or there may be some, um, the immune system may be uh, going uh, haywire in some way. So yes, so we see it in both areas, asthma and allergies. 
Oh my goodness. Yeah. Interesting that they're so um, closely connected or that they could be triggers for each other. Um, yes. That um, people really need to kind of um, understand their bodies and know um, when things are, when, when they're having a reaction or, you know, when something different is happening. And, and most people can generally tell, um, you know, or know their body enough to know that, you know, this isn't normal. This is how I, I used to react to things like this. You know, maybe we should go get it checked out. <laughs> yes, I think that is key. Um, and, you know, I always uh, try to participate in um, programs to raise awareness about uh, allergies. Um, and, you know, I really think it's important that patients are aware that, you know, the common signs and symptoms, you know, asthma, mm -hmm. shortness, breath, chest tightness, wheezing, those are some of the common uh, symptoms. But then also, you know, well, what are your are your triggers? Is it happening in the fall, in the spring, or mm -hmm. um, winter time when the, the, the air is really cold? And then, you know, actually following up and talking to your doctor about, you know, what your symptoms are, what your triggers may be, because I think that some, uh, some patients think, mm -hmm. well, you know, this might be normal, or it's not that bad. And, and really, we want to make sure that, you know, uh, that you're plugged in with your doctor to, to have that official evaluation, because we don't want to wait till things are bad. Right? Yeah, you know, thank goodness, like my daughter growing up with asthma never really had um, a major asthma attack where we had to go to the hospital, you know, she had her regimen, you know, so we, you know, kept a close eye on that. Um, yes. I even sent her to, um, asthma camp one summer, you know, where, you know, the kids were able to run around and they'd be able to learn, you know, their bodies, learn about triggers, learn how to breathe, learn how to use their inhalers. Um, so, you know, just kind of reinforcing that just because you have you know, asthma, you still can have fun, you know, you just have to know yes. your limits, you know, and, um, and be aware of them. Yes, that is so important. <laughs> uh, you know, being plugged into a doctor, seeing them regularly, and uh, having a medication, you know, regimen. And then mm -hmm. some people who have environmental allergies, you know, the runny nose and stuffy nose, the hay fever symptoms, they can, you know, take over the counter medications, but if those aren't helping, then it right. would really be appropriate to see the doctor because there are other um, treatment regimens, like for example, allergy shots, where you actually mm. get what you're allergic to under the supervision of an allergist and escalating doses to retrain your immune system. Because what mm. an allergy, you know, for example, environmental allergy is, is you're inhaling the dust or the pollen and your system is overreacting. And that's how you get the uh, symptoms, um, the runny nose, the stuffy nose, the water, itchy eyes. But then wow. you can retrain that immune system to not overreact. Mm -hmm. And that can really improve your quality of life. And as I mentioned, uh, some people who have environmental allergies, also those environmental allergies serve as triggers for their asthma. So they have like allergic mm -hmm. asthma. And then, you know, we really want to make sure that uh, we assess our patients and try to prevent them from having symptoms or having any sort of major attack. And I think that's why it's really 
important to be sort of plugged in uh, to your primary care provider about your symptoms, your triggers. And then some patients tell me, well, I don't want to take medications. And I think, you know, some patients who have mild symptoms, perhaps they don't need to take the over-the-counter medications, but you would at Mm -hmm. least want to know uh, what your triggers are and have a conversation with your doctor about the different options. Oh, yes. Yeah. I know some people who will, they will suffer through with their like environmental, um, you know, allergies and, you know, they'll be down and out for a few days. And then, you know, once it passes, they'll come back and I'm like, oh my gosh, but why, you know? You don't have to suffer. <laughs> right. You don't have to suffer. Like, or even, you know, if you want to look at some natural remedies and, and, yes. you know, they'll just tough it out instead. And I'm like, well, God bless you because pass me my, you know, medic- over-the-counter medications because I want to get this, um, you know, symptoms under control as soon as possible. <laughs> um And that even, you know, makes me think also like, yes, we definitely want to encourage people to to seek out, you know, professional medical advice. Um, You know, like I I remember a conversation I was having even about um, like alopecia with um, another doctor that we were talking with on the on the podcast and and she was mentioning how sometimes some of her patients you know she she could see a difference occasionally between you know the people of color and maybe even some of her white patients that you know the timing that they come in to see her you know some of the the black patients will be like oh you know they'll just wait you know see how things go see how things change and it might be months or years before they go in to get seen and whereas you know others might go in right away to address the issue um and so that's just you know something i i just throw out there to people that actually go and if you notice something that's different you know definitely get it checked out by a professional so that they can help you make, you know, informed decisions about whatever it is that you may be going through. Yes. Um, and we do see racial ethnic disparities um, with, within communities of color mm-hmm. with access um, to specialists and, and perhaps even referrals, you know, to specialists. So I mm-hmm. always, um, you know, tell my patients um, that, you know, they should feel empowered to ask questions, empowered to, you know, ask, should I be seeing a, a, an additional specialist? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I think that's all part of comprehensive care. It's a discussion. Right. Yeah. That's one thing, like over the um, almost practically two years with um, COVID and the pandemic of um, different disparities, you know, popping up amongst um, in our communities and, um, you know, just being more informed about them. I think even myself personally, um, you know, helps me to ask more questions, you know, whether it's my own um, health or my own neighborhood or transportation, you know, just to, um, you know, feel free to ask more questions and press the issue. Um, I know one of my, my younger cousins, she also has a a lot of food allergies. And so that just also opens my eyes that, okay, just to be aware of, um, those around you and remembering and trying to provide alternative, you know, solutions for them for like these large family gatherings or, um, or even small ones where you just get together and you're trying to have snacks for people. So trying to um, remember and accommodate for others as well. Yes. And that's, that's so important that you bring up, you know, food allergies because, we have a lot of data in the uh, medical community about 
um, asthma health disparities, uh, mm-hmm. particularly Blacks and Puerto Ricans, having higher uh, prevalence rates of asthma, as well as um, higher asthma um, morbidity and mortality. So, for example, when wow. you talk about asthma, you know, African Americans or uh, patients who self-identify as Black um, have two to three times uh, the the death rates uh, compared to whites, and we mm. have a lot of data about that. Um, and now we're seeing more data coming up about food allergies, how in communities of color, particularly among Blacks and uh, Hispanics or Latinos, that there may be a delay in diagnosis. Uh, mm-hmm. The di- diagnosis of food allergy may uh, take longer to confirm um, uh, just because of perhaps access to care, access to testing. We need mm-hmm. more you know, data to sort of uh, dive a little deeper into why that's happening. And then um, you know, we're seeing uh, the data in the data that there are more ER visits and uh, more severe reactions. And so that may be related to the education being you know, received around food allergies, educating people mm. about food allergies, the signs and symptoms, having access to epinephrine auto-injector and knowing when to take it. Um, and then also dietary education. Um, you know, if you have a milk allergy, of course, you can't have cheese. But just knowing that milk is a major uh, component of uh, many uh, cheeses. Right. And mm-hmm. so I think there is a lot of um, uh, more information that we need around uh, food allergy disparities when it comes to communities of color. And, um, you know, some of it may perhaps involve, you know, um, educating about the disease itself, but then also in a culturally competent way, like understanding the culture and when foods are introduced and and perceptions of food allergies, it's really important as well. Yes. Yeah. And, and I can see where the perception and the education of food allergies could really come into play. And, you know, some of the, um, um, African-American, you know, communities where, a lot of times I've, you know, heard parents or, you know, families where they'll say, you're going to eat everything that's on your plate, <laughs> you know, and or, you know, you may be with visiting with someone else and, you know, you don't really have options or, um, you know, you have to be sure that if children have allergies, either you tell the person they're with or that the child is able to speak up for themselves because, you know, sometimes they aren't giving choices. And then if, if people aren't aware, then they'll just automatically make assumptions that, oh, you just don't want to eat this. No, you need to eat this. <laughs> and yes. it's not just that easy for some people, you know? Yes. And I think that is that's um, it, that is so true that we really have to do a lot of education around food allergy because we've seen since... Um, uh, 2010, we've seen a rise in food allergies with some of the common food allergies even doubling and, and prevalent. Uh-huh. So mm-hmm. some people may not be aware or fully aware that food allergies are highly you know, prevalent, um, especially among children compared to, let's say, the 80s. Mm-hmm. And we really need to um, educate you know, caregivers, family members as to what a safe food is and what a safe food isn't. Um, And that this is not a preference. This is a major um, condition, a a, a disease. 
in which, you know, we have to take it seriously and we have to uh, take precautions. And it's not a preference. It's, you know, you can think of food as medicine and this would be mm-hmm. one thing that you, you cannot eat list um, because I have to often explain. And, and when I get some resistance from, you know, family members or, or the care provider will tell me, uh, the caregiver will tell me, oh, well, my family doesn't get it. I say, bring them in um, because we really have to counsel them about, mm-hmm. you know, the risk of anaphylaxis, the risk of a severe allergic reaction is there, including death. And that's right. that's why we want to uh, educate and we want to keep, you know, in, in many cases, I see children with food allergies, but it, mm-hmm. it, it can be applicable to adults as well. But we want to keep patient safe. And the reason I mentioned children is because some cannot speak for themselves, mm-hmm. uh, depending on what age or perhaps the dynamics, you know, a child versus an adult. And it can be a lot of pressure, but we have to get that message across that allergies, uh, you know, food allergies specifically, uh, when you've right. been, you know, diagnosed with a food allergy, you are at risk of having anaphylaxis, a severe allergic reaction. And, mm-hmm. you know, that can um, result in death. And so we really have to emphasize, you know, how to keep patients safe, including children. Exactly. Yeah. We don't want to wait until there's a, a situation that's very serious before, you know, people take notice. We want them to uh, be aware of it up front. You know, um, I know that even for myself, you know, when I go back and look at um, some of the um, items that I've, you know, been allergic to, you're right. Like when you mention milk or, you know, for myself, like citrus, it's in, it's in a lot of things. You really have to take a look at your ingredients. And um, for me, you know, because it was on as an adult, you know, I really had to remember to tell, you know, staff when I go out to eat, you know, because half the time, you know, I could be in the middle of dinner. I'm like, hmm, wait a minute, something doesn't feel right. I'm like, oh, I forgot to ask or I forgot to tell them, you know, yes. um, about an allergy. And sometimes when you're looking at a menu, you just doesn't, you just don't think about um, every single ingredient that they might have used to prepare that that dish. Um, yes, I, I totally agree. And that's why it's so important to, you know, especially as physicians or as analogists, mm-hmm. you know, we make the diagnosis um, and we come up with a treatment plan, for example, avoid that food, but there's a lot of counseling that goes into that, how to read an ingredient list and really um, uh, counseling the patient the uh, caregiver or parent uh, to really understand how, you know, when we're talking about food allergy, particularly we're talking about IgE-mediated allergy, for which you can have a severe allergic reaction, you can be at risk of death because it's, uh, because that severe reaction uh, can occur. And so we, we like to explain that this, this may be life-threatening. And so we want to make sure that that messaging is in there. Definitely. Yes. Um, and I, and I know you even mentioned, um, you know, with caregivers or family members coming to, um, to ask questions or ask for advice, what are, um, some things, some, maybe some other things that mothers and, and caregivers can do to help protect their loved ones, you know, when it comes to caring for them? And so that's a very important question, and, and I want to just take a minute to talk about uh, food allergies in, in children and 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 why they may develop. So, I mean, the short answer is we're not exactly sure why we see a rise in the allergy and why 
um, why certain children may get food allergies or not get food allergies. Mm -hmm. We just want to focus on the kids for one minute. And um, we think that a large part of it may be the delayed introduction of, uh, you know, allergenic foods. Uh, So for example, the common eight allergens, just to name a few, milk, egg, um, fish, peanut, tree nuts, uh, uh, shellfish, uh, soy, wheat, um, and even the ninth uh, most common uh, food allergen is uh, sesame. And Mm -hmm. so when we look at uh, the data in the scientific community, we see that uh, particularly for peanut, we have the most data that delaying introduction, especially in children who are high risk, for example, if you have eczema, uh, you know, which can be allergic, uh, that may put you it, it, depending on if it's moderate to severe, it may put you at higher risk uh, for developing. Uh, it is considered a risk factor for developing food allergy. Not every child that has eczema will go on to develop a food allergy, but they're higher risk. And so um, as pediatricians, as allergists, immunologists, we have to talk to patients about the introduction of food and introducing it early. And we see that in clinical studies. Uh, for example, there was a study called the LEAP study. Uh, in children who are high risk, uh, introducing peanut between four to six months is recommended. And a lower risk uh, patients, uh, definitely you want to uh, introduce uh, before 11 months, you know, that four to 11 month range. And I think that is um, newer information, like over the past, uh, you know, a little over five years or so. Um, Because in the past, we would say, wait until um, the the child is older to introduce foods. But we actually see now that introduction of food, particularly with uh, peanut, is Mm -hmm. good because your body sees the food, and then it's less likely to... um, to mount an allergic reaction if it sees the food early. If it sees yeah. the food later in life, meaning one year or older, that that immune system may be more prone to reacting and the child developing a food allergy. And mm-hmm. so I think it's really important um, because, again, this is sort of a, a, a change uh, in the, the school of thought around introduction of foods. Right. And we see that in the community, this messaging is not getting out as much as we would like. Uh, like if you look at studies, you know, uh, did your pediatrician tell you about the early introduction of food, and did you go on to introduce those food um, in your children, mm-hmm. uh, in your in your infants? Um, and so that is one thing that we definitely need to talk about. You know, we talk about um, breastfeeding, and the, the child should be exclusively breastfed for six months. But then we also have to talk about the risk of food allergies and withholding food and the risk of that child potentially developing a life-threatening uh, allergy. So it's really important to have that conversation with the pediatrician. Um, what foods, uh, which foods should I introduce and at what time? Because right. we do have a school of thought that says the earlier, the better. Um, but of course, you know, the child has to be ready for foods, um, which mm-hmm. is usually around uh, four months. So you um, want to talk to your pediatrician about that plan. And that's really important. Oh, good. Yeah, definitely. You know, as with most things, you know, that communication is key. 
um, just to to ensure that, um, like you say, like if you're going to switch up on on a school of thought and to to try to you know introduce items earlier, you want to be sure it's you know that's what your doctor or your pediatrician are recommending as well. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's interesting. So you know even. As we're we're talking and speaking, and so glad that you're here, so we could share information with people. What are you know how how do you know parents and I'm I'm sure learn about um, different um, allergies and, and precautions that they should take? And I'm even guessing, imagining you know from the pediatrician, but also from caregivers. So um, caregivers being kept aware is, would probably be another really important um, program as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Making sure that they're up to date with um, the latest information, um, which I know that um, they go through so many different, you know, trainings and learning themselves. So um, not an easy task for our teachers and caregivers out there (laughs) (laughs) to help keep everyone safe. Um, Okay, cool. And then um, I'd like to just also maybe even ask about I know we talked about some of the um, disparities um, um, amongst allergy cases, amongst um, um, those in the Black community as well. Um, have you noticed, I, I think we've mentioned uh, maybe even an uptick in environmental allergies, um, but have you noticed maybe even over the last uh, year or two, just even with the, the pandemic and COVID, if, I don't know if that's had any impact as well, or maybe people were seeking out, um, um, more inquiries about, you know, their, their health or their children's health during that time. Yes. I think that with the, um, onset of the pandemic, I think that people may have realized this before, but it was, um, there was more weight given to the sort of symptoms Mm -hmm. that you were having. So, um, we've been in this pandemic for, you know, almost two years now. Right. And, yeah. and so, um, those common symptoms of COVID with, you know, the cough, uh, potentially, you know, some sort of nasal symptoms, the nasal congestion, the runny nose, um, you know, people started to think, well, is this, do I have COVID or is it, you know, my allergies? Could it be a combination of both? And it's actually really hard to tease those apart. But if you have other symptoms like fever, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, uh, stomach upset, things like that um, are not classic allergy symptoms and allergies alone would not cause those symptoms. So I think right. Uh, in part, it made people more conscious of their symptoms and then to seek out help and advice from their physicians to try to tease that apart. And and, and sometimes you, you just need to get tested, uh, you know, for COVID to, to figure that out, uh, whether you have an active um, infection. And then when it comes to your allergies, knowing that there are um, I would say maybe there was even more of an incentive to control those allergy, uh, mm-hmm. you know, symptoms because you didn't want to have this confusing, you know, sort of situation and, you know, um, acknowledging that, you know, well, okay, you know, what are my triggers, um, helping to identify those triggers, avoiding those triggers, you know, wearing masks, because even masks 
would help to reduce your exposure to viruses. And mm-hmm. also actually when you're outdoors and there are things like pollen and mold, it also helps to reduce your exposure to allergens or at least yeah. those, you know, sort of surgical masks that are really have the tight uh, knitting on them mm-hmm. um, and a really good filter. And so I think that people became more aware of their symptoms and sought out more information about how they could potentially avoid it, what their triggers are. Um, and so I think that that was um, good to have that more disease state awareness around mm-hmm. allergies. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it was really triggered by this sort of overlap, which can be hard to tell between uh, viruses and uh, some allergy symptoms. Right. Yeah. Because I, I, I definitely sometimes even forget about, you know, some of my allergy symptoms and I'm like, oh no, I'm sick. And then I'm like, oh no, wait a minute. Yeah. Okay. This is, this is my allergies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like, okay. You know, relax, remember, you know, you know, your regiment. So like, okay, we can help to control this. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, well, thank you. I, I definitely agree like that. Over the past, you know, couple of years, even, you know, throughout the pandemic that um, people have become a little more, you know, aware of their surroundings, aware of um, their body and um, how their body reacts and when they're, you know, maybe coughing or maybe when they have a trigger and, you know, have like hay fever symptoms. Um, and so that they are t- trying to take care of their health a little more and the health of those around them. Um, Yes. And I think that's so important to have that awareness and then to have it sort of permeate um, different aspects of your health, because mm -hmm. we did see with the pandemic, you know, that uh, healthcare screenings went down, vaccinations went down. But I think that Mm -hmm. more people are, uh, we're sort of living in the pandemic, like developing a new sense of normalcy and Mm. then trying to get back those health screenings, trying to get back those regular visits uh, with, with the doctor and and get those, you know, uh, vaccination, uh, you know, schedule back on track. Right. Yes, exactly. With, with more knowledge of even, you know, where we are currently, um, but then knowing, you know, okay, what's safe and, you know, what's okay to go out and do and, and keep yes. up with your regular appointments, you know, just with those uh, same precautions that they've taught us so well over the last, you know, several, several months. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, excellent. Well, Nakia, I appreciate, you know, again, so much you spending some time with me and, and talking to our listeners and sharing um, your experience, you know, to, um, your journey to where you are currently in your career, as well as um, some of those, um, I you know, programs that you've you've seen and information that we have that we can share with um, our caregivers and even that parents and um, and aunts as well can can take note of when they're um, dealing with their children or dealing even with their own um, onset of adult you know allergies and or. Um, asthma uh, symptoms and reactions. And just are there any other um, last minute um, items you want to mention before we get ready to close up? I just want to say, you know, um, as we've mentioned before, it's really important to talk to your doctor about allergy symptoms, Mm -hmm. whether it's environmental allergies or even if it's asthma that may or may not be triggered by allergies, but the majority Mm -hmm. of asthma can have 
allergic triggers, um, whether it's food allergies, uh, and we didn't go into this, but even like a bee sting allergy, any sort of, you know, allergic reaction or adverse reaction, it's really important to um, go to your doctor, have all the information ready, you know, what are your symptoms? When did they happen in relationship to the exposure? And have you taken any medications, even if it's over the over the counter medications? And do you feel better? And mm-hmm. then in some cases where and we have environmental allergies, and you don't get better with over the counter medications, it may be appropriate. Um, we can't exactly identify the trigger to have, you know, allergy testing, whether it's blood testing or skin prick testing. And mm-hmm. um, I think it's really important to talk to your primary care provider. Maybe important to go see a specialist, whether it's a, an allergist, immunologist, or you know, it could even be a lung doctor. Um, you know, if there's uh, asthma or concern for other lung disease there. And uh, we also talked about the food allergy uh, prevention in children with early introduction. I think that is some messaging that we really have to get out and really something important to talk to your child's pediatrician about. Yes, definitely. And, you know, I love even learning and spreading the word that there is a specialty, you know, for allergy and immunology. (laughs) Because, you know, even that a lot of people may not even know specifically, they may just think, oh, let me just, you know, take over the counter or just go see my, you know, regular physician. But to, you know, with more knowledge is more power. So if you need to ask more questions and get a referral, then at least you know that there's others who deal specifically, you know, with, uh, with allergies and immunologies. Yes, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, good. Well, thank you once again, Dr. Lakia, for joining us. Thank you, Beanie. I just want to be sure to thank all of those who are listening to Improper Mimi, where we talk about those things that empower women at home, work, and play. I just want to remind everyone to stay as fabulous as you are, continue to look out for each other, and protect yourself. And as always, keep telling me black stories. Thank you. Bye-bye.